Welcome to the Moz Monthly Podcast. Thorough discussion and in-depth information about the news, stories, and trends related to emergency medical services in Michigan. The Moz Monthly Podcast is brought to you by the Michigan Association of Ambulance Services. Here's your host, Moz Executive Director, Angela Madden. Hello and welcome to the second edition of our special series related to the COVID-19 vaccine. Joining us today on the Moz Monthly Podcast is Scott Moore. Scott is here to discuss potential regulatory pitfalls associated with employer COVID-19 vaccination programs. And Scott, before you get started, I do have your bio here. Let's see what, what we can rack up for you under your name. You're a Massachusetts licensed attorney and possess certifications as both a professional in human resources and the Society for Human Resource Management certified professional. You're also a member of the American Bar Association, the Massachusetts Bar Association, the Northeast Human Resource Association, and the Society for Human Resource Management. If that's not enough, you're also an active member with the American Ambulance Association, the AAA, and you've been a site reviewer for the Commission on Accreditation of Ambulance Services for CAS. What don't you do? <laughs> yeah, actually, I just um, I realized I haven't updated that bio. I became um, I became uh, admitted to the bar in Illinois, and um, actually now instead of doing site review, I just got appointed to um, serve as the legal representative on the CAS panel of commissioners. So. Um, it's, you know, I feel very fortunate to get to do what I do. And, you know, I, I was a non-traditional student. I didn't go back to school until I was, uh, I didn't go to law school until I was 30. So, you know, it's, um, I, I feel very fortunate to work with folks like you and all the other EMS providers around the country. Cause I know it's one of those jobs that I took a, a dollar an hour pay cut from a grocery store in 1990 to do my first call on EMS. And, um, you know, I've, I've still carried my certification since then. So thanks for uh, inviting me to come on. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for being here, Scott. We we very much appreciate your time, your energy. Um, you have uh, been, you and I have met each other through the American Ambulance Association. I know you also sit on their faculty for their cost data reporting program. Um, and we've paid very close attention to that here in Michigan as well. But let's start talking about the vaccine. And, you know, probably a heated question to start right off, but why not grab everybody's attention? Has politics played a role in the COVID-19 vaccine rollout? Yeah, you know, I think it's interesting. Uh, politics has played a role in virtually everything this past year, right? When you take a look at not only the civil unrest and a lot of the stuff that happened around some of the um, racial related riots and all of the, the election, the presidential election this past year, it's really, it's really. Um, while I'm happy that we're having those discussions, I think as a country they're important and critical. Um, it is really a shame that the vaccination and the response to the pandemic has become so politicized. Because, you know, as I think we talked about prior to today, you know, there are, of course, you can argue the philosophies, but you can't argue the science. And and I think had had maybe we focused on, you know letting the science be what it is to, uh, we might not be in such a tough spot as we are now, but um, you know, these are emotional things and, and this is taking a very human toll on, on folks around this country and not just, you know, non-EMS folks, it's, you know, it's, it's taking its toll on EMS folks as well. So, um, you know, it's, you know, I, I feel badly saying that it's become so political, but I also recognize when hasn't EMS been political, truthfully. That's a really good point. And you, you talked on emotion too, you know, 
before we started recording today, we, you and I had been discussing about um, some straw polls that we had done asking EMS providers about their willingness to, to get vaccinated as soon as it becomes available to them. Here in Michigan, I found that anywhere between 30 to 60% of personnel are, are ready to get the vaccine today. What would you say to an EMS agency leader who has team members out there who are hesitant to receive the vaccine? Yeah, so I think, and you know, we talked about this relative to polls. One of the things that you know I really hadn't considered when I even put a poll out um, through Facebook about whether you will or will not get the vaccine, right? A simple yes or no question. It's not really that simple. So, what I would suggest, if in fact you are an EMS leader and you are trying to figure out how are we going to tackle this with our workforce, is maybe ask a question that has more than just two answers, because frankly, this is an issue that has more than just two answers. I think for most people, you want to find out why, you know, for example, you know, or would you be willing to get the vaccination? If the answer is yes, ask them why. And if the answer is, I'm not sure, uh, ask them why. And same if the answer is no, because I think as is, you know, with most things, the folks who can answer and provide the why behind their yeses can one also help you as you try and um, you know enlighten the rest of the group because many people who aren't yeses may not be nos and really getting at the underlying reason you know you may be able to provide some education because sometimes our emotion um, overrules our science side or our medical brain. And, you know, as EMS professionals, we are committed to a lifelong learning when it comes to medicine, because medicine is changing. And when I think back to some of the things we did when I first became an EMT, we don't do those anymore. Why? Because the science has told us they don't make sense. And so um, I think if you're an EMS leader, you need to engage your workforce, find out where they're at, find out what their concerns are, and then do your best to try and, you know, dispel those concerns. Let's move on to some of those HR related topics. Mm-hmm. Does OSHA, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration's support of, of employers making the vaccine mandatory help EMS agency leaders? Yeah, so you know, OSHA really takes what is a relatively neutral position on this. Employers can mandate it. That's not without restrictions. So we'll talk about the ADA and religious objections in a minute. From an OSHA perspective, there are sort of two schools of thought. One, if you, I would recommend that employers certainly offer it, right? Because an employer has an obligation uh, under the OSHA guidelines to remove uh, any known hazards or at least mitigate any known hazards to the extent possible. So offering the vaccination to your workforce, I see as an option or as part of your obligation or duty to mitigate those hazards. Now, Understanding, though, a lot of people have said to me, well, geez, you can't mandate it. You absolutely can mandate it. However, most EMS organizations are in a position right now where they're not really in a position to you know, mandate it because if their workforce refuses, are you really going to you know, either separate someone from employment or um, are you really in a position where you're going to be able to still staff vehicles if these folks aren't working on trucks? So I think your best bet, you know, of course, is to educate. but um, you know, OSHA has really remained pretty neutral about this. So what, what really lies unanswered so far are what's going to happen if an employer doesn't offer the vaccination and, you know, and how will OSHA react if, in fact, that was made available to them, but they failed to offer that. And then number two, some other questions that we're really not sure yet is what liabilities will exist for employers 
um, in the event that there there is, you know, they do offer that vaccination, and then there there is some, you know, even though those those side effects have been very 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 minimal, you know, what liability will rest for employers as it relates to that, you know, so as it relates to the mandation thing, and just want to, if it's okay, if I want to talk about. Um, you can mandate it, but there are two circumstances in which you really need to be conscious of is if you have an employee who has a medical condition that qualifies as a disability under the ADA, you have an obligation to engage that employee in their interactive process. And the interactive process is really a two-way dialogue between the employer and the employee in which you try and determine one, what their need is. So it could very well be that someone has a medical condition for which the vaccination may create a hazard for them. Um, and in which case you would wanna get some medical um, information you know, from their healthcare provider. So what I always tell folks are, have the person put their request in writing. So in other words, if they're sort of saying, I can't get it because of a religious objection or a medical ADA uh, protected objection, have them put that in writing. And then I also suggest to employers that they document that interactive process, the entire interactive process, the steps that you took, and in many states this is required, but the steps that you took so that you can show that you did in fact engage them in that process. Now, it may very well be that there is not a reasonable accommodation. And just that's a legal term of art. The reasonable accommodation is an accommodation that you know an employer could make for an employee that would permit them to essentially excuse from that particular mandated vaccination and would still permit them to perform the essential functions of the job. Employers are obligated to provide reasonable accommodations unless of course they create an undue hardship. So it really becomes an unreasonable accommodation. An undue hardship is one that involves great difficulty or expense, or even if they did provide the accommodation, it doesn't eliminate the risk or the hazard in the workplace to other workers and or to the public as a whole. This is one of those things with, with the COVID vaccination that really very difficult for an employer to provide that accommodation and still eliminate the risk in the workplace. So, you know, at least for the ADA medical issue, that's one side. For religious objections, those are folks who, because of the principles in their religion, they are not permitted or taking the vaccination would um, violate those principles in their religion. In those instances, it's not just any religion, but it is a sincerely held religious belief. Same circumstance, you would want to have them put that request in writing, you would want to document that interactive process, and then ultimately see if you can provide that accommodation. So I know that's a lot packed into a quick couple of minutes there. But you know, bottom line is, you just want to be cautious, you should be training your supervisors on, you know, what does an accommodation request look like? Because not all of them will come into, I'm requesting a religious accommodation or I'm requesting a medical accommodation. So you wanna train your folks to go, hey, be on the lookout if someone's looking to, let's say be excused from it, find out why. And that's that's really critical. Let's dive just a tad bit deeper into that and, and more generically, Scott, what is or what are the employers, the agency's responsibilities in allowing those accommodations on a more generic term? Yeah. So if you were going to permit, let's say, for example, somebody, well, if we don't use a vaccination program as an example, let's say for you have someone who has a medical condition for which they need to keep um, their di diabetes medication with them, right? Now, say some organizations may have a, you know, a prohibition on keeping 
coolers, uh, you know, in, inside the vehicle because they could become airborne. Uh, a reasonable accommodation in that case might be permitting uh, a person who has or requires medication stay with them and, you know, possibly be uh, kept in a cooler. You might, an accommodation might be providing some provision for them to keep that in the vehicle in a secured manner that they may need to take more frequent breaks and or check their blood sugar, those kind of things. Those would be instances in which very likely you would have an obligation and that probably wouldn't create an undue hardship. When it comes to a vaccination though, the challenge is this, that if somebody doesn't get the vaccination, can or will PPE potentially be enough to prevent them or to eliminate the hazard in the workplace? And what I will say is while there's no formal data, I do believe the transmission rates amongst coworkers is relatively low. In fact, what I think we're hearing, and this is this is sort of anecdotally, is that a lot of times the transmissions are occurring in social settings off duty. And, and understandably so, people are fatigued and, and, and even COVID fatigued. But um, I think what's important uh, is that you stick to a process because truthfully, when you treat one person differently than the other, you just need to make sure that you understand the reason that that treatment is disparate and um, to the extent possible that that's documented and that you're um, having your legal counsel review it as well. So I don't know if that answers the question, but it's, um, it is incredibly complicated because this is an emotional issue. So, you know, you need to make sure that you're tackling the emotional piece first to get that, you know, as much out of the way as you can, and then tackling the substantive, substantive part second. That was a great answer, Scott. And I think a lot for our EMS agency leadership to think about as they are rolling out their vaccine programs. Do you think that an EMS leader, an agency leader needs to prepare for any potential adverse employment actions while they're talking about the the emotional aspect of a vaccination program? Yeah, yeah, no, I think so. It's funny, I get an email from several different groups every week about the COVID related litigation that has occurred. And there have been a fair amount and, and principally a lot, not just, and, I, and I'll go beyond vaccination, um, really that some of the number one uh, top, you know, two or three are uh, failure to uh, maintain a respiratory protection program as required by OSHA. Um, that is a documented program, making sure that you're doing your initial and then annual fit testing and um, that that's documented. Um, that's one, uh, certainly discrimination, right? So they're, believe it or not, not so much in EMS, but we've seen in other areas where early on there was a lot of national origin and or assumptions people making about um, this illness and um, the types of people who become affected. And so what I'll say is, you know, you do need to be cautious. You should be cognizant of the fact that there are or there is a lot of litigation and it won't be long before we see those you know, those lawyer commercials where they say, you know, had, did your employer put you at risk because of X, Y, or Z? It's the reason I didn't become a litigator, right? Because um, it, you know, that's the kind of situation where while I recognize people have the right to be, you know, um, represented by an attorney who can zealously advocate for their injuries, I do say to some degree, things like, you know, be cautious of whistleblower or retaliation. So if you have an employee who comes forth, and I got this question a lot at the beginning of the pandemic, hey, um, you know, what if an employer refuses to come to work? Is that legal? And the answer is straight up, no, you, you know, you can take action. However, I would always counsel people, find out why, because for all we know, you know, you may think that you've got a great supply of PPE back at your station, 
But for all you know, it got cleaned out. You know, someone came in and just wiped it all out, took it for their family. So go a step further, find out why that person is, is either refusing the vaccination, refusing to come to work, and really try and get at the underlying issue. Because if ultimately that employer took negative action upon the employer for refusing to come to work, but it turned out that employee either hadn't been fit tested or didn't have access to PPE or didn't even understand how to use PPE because they didn't get their correct training. Well, then that's really a very, very different situation and places the employer at at significant risk and of course the employee as well. So Scott, I'm going to pivot our conversation just slightly. We have been talking up until this point about EMS personnel being vaccinated. Do you see EMS agencies as the logistic experts that they are playing a role in, in vaccinating the general public? Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, we've seen EMS agencies take a, a huge role in the testing component, right? One of the things that we often find, at least my, in my experience, we, we tend to be the sort of when no one else knows what department to, to hit up for the logistical solution, it tends to be EMS. Why? Because if we have mass casualty incidents, we figure out ways to move enormous numbers of people and do evacuations by commandeering buses or, you know, um, really providing for, you know, all of the needed often medical food and other living supplies. So for example, you know, who are usually manning a lot of these evacuation shelters, et cetera. So EMS folks tend to be logistical experts, number one. Number two, they tend to um, have a very strong reactive brain processing power, right? In other words, we get put in situations on a regular basis where we don't really, one, we think we're going for one thing and we find something else and we still need to just overcome it and move on. So I think I know in Massachusetts, just before we did this, uh, jumped on this call, um, the Massachusetts Department of Public Health, the OEMS, just approved all uh, both EMT, paramedic and advanced to do or administer the vaccination. And I think that that will be, um, that will be the case around the country for most. And, and, and the best thing that I think EMS leaders can be doing right now is just preparing for that. I know it's been the buzz. And so I think many are, but really, if you're doing testing, get ready to retool that for doing both. I would agree, especially here in Michigan as well. Even if you aren't doing testing right now, EMS leaders should be preparing to be vaccinators as well and working directly with their local health departments um, for that. And you did mention that it is the buzz right now, you know, throughout, you know, at least here in Michigan, I, I hope in Massachusetts as well, we know nationally EMS has been in the news. It's been all over the news. A couple of key things, you know, we're currently in the middle of a staffing crisis and and our lack of funding is extremely detrimental and it is definitely being exposed in light of this pandemic. How do you unpack that message and what would you say to Michigan's EMS leaders about it? Yeah, I know, I, you know, and we just did a webinar earlier this week about Tranche 3 CARES funding that came out. And I know that I talked to a bunch of rural EMS providers who said they, didn't, they weren't even really aware of um, the fact that there was this opportunity, which made me sad because there isn't a second bite at that apple. Um, what I would say is, you know, EMS leaders need to be engaging their their state level associations and networks because that's where a lot of your information is going to come. The national levels, folks like the AAA and some of the others. And I think, you know, uh, when it comes down to financial relief, there are a lot of opportunities for financial relief. However, I do say this it would be a far stronger argument for our uh, profession, our industry to be able to walk into a lawmaker's office with really strong data over what it costs us and what 
the, um, the true cost of this pandemic has been. And so what I would say is that, you know, the toothpaste may be a little bit out of the tube on that one. Collect every bit of data that you can, be tracking your costs independent so that you can identify what's a COVID-related cost, um, what's a COVID-related loss of potentially revenue. One, you're going to need it for your PRF reporting that will open up in the middle of January. But number two, right, whenever, you know, we know cost collection has been pushed off now again. And in fact, actually, the deadline for the first set of data to be collected by CMS will be two months after the report by MedPAC to Congress. So what we do know is they're going to be looking for data. And what would be ideal is if we as a profession and industry were able to produce reliable data, because I'm confident if we had had this data prior or entering into this pandemic, the financial relief options for us would have been far different. But still recall that there are opportunities for reimbursement at your state levels. You know, there are, I think there will be subsequent financial relief on the federal level. And then be sure that, you know, if you aren't participating in uh, testing and or vaccination programs, I know lots of agencies who are making up their lost revenue or at least offsetting a bigger revenue loss by doing testing, as well as I imagine that will also carry through for vaccinations as well. That's a great message, Scott. Thank you. And just as a reminder to our listeners out there, um, SAVIC, the SAVIC program does have scholarships available for the AAAs, the American Ambulance Association's um, cost data subscription service. And that includes access to the software program, AMBER, that you can already start putting your data in right now. And I would highly encourage everyone to begin doing that to get used to the um, to the system and, and what it's going to feel like to report. Scott, um, any last comments that you'd like to make for our listeners? Yeah, I mean, other than just the genuine, um, you know, one, there's plenty of assistance out there, right? Folks like myself and others, you know, this is this is what we do. And, and, and I know that you are busy running your service. So if you have questions or things that you're uncertain about, you know, just pick up the phone. Certainly you can reach out to me. You can get, catch me through Angela. You can catch me through the AAA or go to my website at Maury MS Consulting. Um, you know, I, that, that's what we do. And if I don't have the answer, I will find it. But what I will say is um, I couldn't be more grateful for all the work that you all are doing and recognize that it has been a long, long road. But I, I have to say that when I see the recognition that EMS has gotten, I think, and I'm hopeful that, um, that there will be uh, an understanding of exactly how important EMS and the role that they played in this pandemic and what they mean to this country and the people in this country. Um, I'm, I'm hopeful that, that that does finally come in our professional time. I think um, more and more people are realizing now just how um, how unit or how the ability for the healthcare providers, the logistical support providers, the distribution of of healthcare to all areas of the country. Because whether you're in rural Missouri or you are in rural Michigan or you are in Metro Boston, um, generally speaking, someone's going to be at your at your side within eight minutes and fifty nine seconds to give you high level. Uh, care and um, and really gets you to a world class medical center. So I just want to thank everybody. I want to thank you for inviting me to come on and and just to, just to say please, please, please. The way that I know what's happening is by getting questions from members like you, and so your question really does help raise that um, you know rising tide raises all boats. So thank you again. 
Thank you so much. Scott Moore from Moore EMS Consulting and a link to Scott's website will be in the show's notes. Thank you for joining us. Thank you all of our listeners for uh, listening to today's episode, our second edition of our special episodes related to the COVID-19 vaccine. And as always, remember you can subscribe and rate the Moz Monthly Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you, everyone. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Moz Monthly Podcast, the go-to source for information about Michigan's EMS system. Be sure to visit miambulance.org slash podcast to join the conversation and access other important information from the Michigan Association of Ambulance Services.